listen to them. Children of the night, what music they make. They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're here. Ah. Welcome to my nightmare. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Kill you all. We don't know what death is. We belong dead. Here's Johnny. <laughs> I shot him six times. On to your butt. Free for your life. Into <laughs> a new world of parts and monsters. Hello, friends, and welcome to Pods and Monsters. My name is Robert, and with me, as always, is Inthea. Happy Fourth of July, Robert. Happy Fourth of July, Inthea. Dun, 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 dun. Happy Fourth of July, yes, Inthea. Yeah, thanks. To celebrate Fourth of July, you know, last year we talked about possibly, well, it is my favorite Fourth of July film, which is Jaws. Mm-hmm. We did do that last year. Yes. Yeah. So this year, we thought we would do another one of our favorite 4th of July films, and that is I Know What You Did Last Summer. Summer. I know what you did last summer from 1997. Hush, hush. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know this movie pretty well, right, Anthea? Uh, I thought I did, yeah. <laughs> Rewatching it, you did not? Well, partway through, I tried to guess what was happening. And, and you didn't know? I didn't remember exactly. Like, I knew, but then I was like, wait a minute. Perhaps I didn't know the twist <laughs> but <laughs> i've seen this movie so many times i saw it in the theater i saw yeah. this movie so many times not as many times as scream i like scream more i've seen it a bunch of times i uh did you see it in the theater i did see it in the theater yeah you know because i became a big scream fan mm-hmm. so i had to obviously see this one as well okay yeah well why don't we go through the movie? Let us. Why don't we go to Southport and let's go fishing. It's a Columbia Mandalay Entertainment movie. That's right. Little known fact, I interned for Mandalay Pictures. Oh, did you? When I was in college. Um, we get a pan over water and immediately we get the title of our movie. Yeah, and I like the song, the first song of the movie. This movie is very much full of 90s soft rock. I don't know what you would call it. Yeah. Alternative music. Sure. Then we get our film credits paired with this music. We follow the coast and it's a sunset. And we're following also a road that goes right along this very rocky cliff area. We can see that the water is very rough and choppy. It's just kind of perilous. So it sets a a real tone for it. 
and we end up seeing a man sitting at the top of one of these cliffs and his feet are dangling over into the ocean. It seems like it'd be pretty scary to film that. It seems like he's really right there on the edge. Yeah, it really does. He's holding a charm in his hand and the charm says, I love you, even though it's a little hard to see what it says. Yeah, it's one of those charms where you you could flick it and then as it spins, you can read it. Literally, I've never seen a charm like this before. I don't know why anyone would ever. It looks like a key, like a keychain. Yeah, it's like a keychain. I've seen ones where it does a little bit of an animation Mm. where like, I think my uncle had one where it was a horse on one side and a man on the other side. And when you spin it, it looks like he's riding the horse. Oh, what I mean by saying I don't, I've never seen a necklace like this is because I don't think anyone would wear a necklace like this. <laughs> I don't mean that I, this, I'm not, I'm unfamiliar with the technology or yeah. the fashion of it. <laughs> I'm just saying it's a big, bulky, shiny charm that yeah. spins and says, I love you in the most generic way possible. I just don't think anyone would wear it. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. He hears a little bit of rustling behind him and he becomes a little bit alarmed. But we also see that our cliff friend is drinking. Some fireworks go off and we see a little 4th of July celebration happening at a seaside town. And you have just told me what the name is of the seaside town. Southport. Southport. We have a beauty pageant and um, Buffy Summers is there. She is in this competition. Yeah, beauty pageant. Beauty pageant. I wrote down in my notes, there she is. (laughs) Robert loves Buffy a lot. Yeah, I do. We end up getting introduced to her. Her name is Helen. and Helen Shivers. Helen Shivers. And we end up seeing her three friends that are there to support her. And they're hanging out in the balcony all by themselves. They're there to just... Um, to cheer her on. Yes. And we get a little bit of exposition here. We end up finding out that she plans to move to New York because she answers one of the questions during this pageant, this contest. And we end up finding out that Helen would like to move to New York to be an actress. At summer's end, I plan to move to New York City where I'll pursue a career as a serious actress. It's my goal to entertain the world through artistic expression. Through art, I shall serve my country. And we find out her friends in the balcony are comprised of her boyfriend, whose name is Barry. Barry Cox. Her best friend, Julie, and her best friend's boyfriend, Ray. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on in here. The friends don't necessarily think that she can really make it in New York. They're a little... You think so? Because I think at one point, I don't remember who talks to Julie. Julie's like excited for her plans. And they're like, oh, have you been really talking to her about this? Like... Eh. But we find out eventually that there are plans that these kids are supposed to have after high school. Yeah, this is right at the end of their high school career. This is their last big hurrah. Mm -hmm. And their whole life is ahead of them. Each one of them has a specific, well, all but Ray have a specific plan as to what they want to do with their lives. It's kind of alluded to that Ray does have bigger plans than the city, but that he may not be as financially well off or have a family support system as everyone else. Because I think he says he's going to move to New York or something. I think he just is very, he's very hopeful. They're all very hopeful right now. So our good friend Helen ends up winning and she is now crowned whatever. Like she should. She would win any one of my beauty pageants. Of course she would. Our friends go. (laughs) (laughs) 
to a beach party. Julie, who's played by Jennifer Love Hewitt, wants to be a lawyer, we find out. And we also end up meeting Helen's sister, Elsa. And uh, Elsa. it's they have it's more than a sibling rivalry. It's Elsa's very resentful and does not like Helen. Yeah, she's very mean to her. It seems like she is jealous of her getting all the attention, probably. She gives her a little insult and then Helen says, Oh, a twit with a wit. Oh, a twit with a wit. Okay. <laughs> um, while at this beach party, our good friend Julie is approached by a kid named Max. Max. And he pretty much just hits on her. And we find out that she plans to go off to a college. She will not be staying in town. While they're talking, he's kind of trying to get her to at least have some sort of like mini not so much a date but definitely spent like he's putting moves on her and he would like to see her before she leaves yeah so we find out that max is definitely interested in Helen and um in julie yeah barry shows up and completely dismisses the fact that max is even there yeah um, he's so rude to max and he has this barry. annoying speech he's like here's to us to unadulterated decadence or whatever yeah there um everyone in this movie definitely plays into some sort of high school stereotype yeah um and i will say that ryan Filippini goes real hard in this berry <laughs> which at no point do you ever want anything good to happen to this character yeah so I think that's very interesting that you that he is extremely unlikable. He ends up insulting Max and uh, they almost get into a fight. They're broken up by Ray. Helen distracts Barry and says, let's go down to Dawson's Beach. Dawson's Beach. Which is a play on Dawson's Creek. Yeah, I believe it is a play on Dawson's Creek because this movie is written by Kevin Williamson, who created oh, Dawson's Creek. I do love him. We now are back on this winding road and there's a little fancy car uh, and this carries our group of friends. They go down to a beach and have a little bit of a bonfire and Ray is telling a ghost story. It's an urban legend ghost story that everyone yeah. knows about, which is the man with the hook. So the boy and girl are making out, right? So the boy and girl are making out, right? Helen and Barry keep interrupting and making corrections or injecting their own um, interpretation of the story. And yeah. finally, Julie chimes in. Meanwhile, Ray is pretty much like annoyed with everyone and tells them all that they're saying it wrong. Yeah, because again, there are several urban legends about this. Mm -hmm. Ray says it's the one with the hook that's caught in the door. Um, I think Barry says it's the hanging body from above and the feet are scratching on the um, roof of the car. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are all urban legends. And as you said, Ray is upset because he's he's like, no, that's not the story. This is how it really happened. Yep, and he goes with the bloody hook as the real story. Look, you're all wrong. They get back to the girl's house and they find the lunatic's bloody hook in the car door. Now that's the original story. That's the way it really happened. Which that one, that's how it was portrayed in the Scary Stories books. Mm. Remember that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now we're off the, these kids have separated into the couples and Helen is talking to Barry about their future and they're making out. Um, he's a little dismissive of her just a little bit, but she definitely wants to spend the rest of her life with him yeah. and have his babies. He will be a football player. 
um, and she will be an actress and they will be this amazing power couple. Yep. Ray and Julie are down at another end of the beach and they're talking. She's walking alone and Ray comes up behind her and says, I'm going to hook you. Oh. I've never heard someone say, I'm going to hook you. I've heard someone say, I'm going to gut you, but. You have? (laughs) I'm going to gut you like a fish, understand? I hope not in person. No, not in person. Okay. I'm going to hook you! They're talking about living apart and how she's going to go off to college and he's going to go do whatever he's going to go do. She thinks that they won't see each other again, but he says that they will and that they'll be fine. Julie's a little bit more realistic in how things might possibly work out and he's deeply in love with her. Yeah, and then he gives a statistic where it's something like nine out of ten high school relationships succeed or something. Mm-hmm. And she says, name your source. Do you remember this? Vaguely. She says, name your source. And he just kind of opens his jacket and she looks and then she takes off her sweater. Did he show her a condom maybe? I'm guessing that's what he did. He, what? No, I don't know. I don't remember this whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Instantly I was like, he showed her his penis. <laughs> no, no, no. Because it was like up on his chest. So Not his heart? I don't know. I always thought maybe he had a condom and, and that fact was written on the condom package. <laughs> no, I don't think Ray is that tactless. But I think maybe it's like him kind of. I have to watch it again. If he just opens up like where your heart is. I think and he just, has like shows, his, you know, been like, well, I'm in my heart. I think he's showing her a condom. <laughs> I don't think so. Audience, what do you think? <laughs> what is Ray showing Julie? Anywho, uh, yeah, she takes off her shirt. He asks if she wants to or whatever. Uh, consent. And uh, and then we pan over to the ocean because th- they have the sexy times. Yeah. Waves crashing. Good. For, uh, water, symbolic of sex, yeah? Now the kids are going to meet back up and drive back to town uh we find out here that barry is completely trashed and annoying and super annoying does not want anyone else to drive except for himself meanwhile helen is trying to get him into the car and eventually it's settled that ray will go ahead and drive the car back barry is in the car and he's obnoxious there's just some i believe there's like somewhat i don't remember what music is playing is it like just nice because julie and ray are in their post-sex haze and she's just Mm -hmm. staring at him so lovingly and everyone is so thin and youthful looking and pale (laughs) and (laughs) like freddie prince jr kind of glows in this because he's so white barry changes the music and then he's like being super aggressive and he's spilling alcohol in the car and the music is really loud and everyone's yeah. screaming at him and, and, he then, and then he stands his, up yeah he sticks his head out of the sunroof moonroof whatever you call it yeah and our good friend ray is uh very much distracted if you remember barry is drinking some alcohol and he drops the bottle in ray's lap as he's driving that's what i said he spills alcohol everywhere no the actual bottle he dropped well, that's alcohol. Yeah. And he spills that. <laughs> uh, and then Ray has a great line where he says, what's wrong with you? That's not a great line, right? <laughs> I think we need to review what great lines would mean. It's memorable. Maybe he deli- No, it's not. To me, it is. <laughs> they end up hitting something in the road and it goes up over the car in some fashion and hits. Actually, it goes f- 
further than the car, but it still manages to somewhat hit and splatter blood on to Barry. Yeah, it goes it goes over the car. It does. Because the car spins out. That's why it's in front of the car afterwards. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but yeah, it hits him in the face and he has blood on his face now. It's hard to know some of these details when you're just sitting there looking down at your notebook because you're writing <laughs> notes, which is what's happening with me. They try to rationalize that it was a dog or an animal and everyone settles on a deer. They're like, where's the body? Where's the deer? Someone says maybe it ran off. But then they go to investigate the damage that's on the car and you see that it's, it's a little bit more damaged than you would think a deer would due to a car. I've never hit a deer or a person, so I cannot compare and contrast, but Julie is looking around. Julie is more, they're trying to just say, let's go, let's get out of here. Julie's like, no, let's find this. So she's looking around the road and sees on the side of the road, a boot. We hit a boot. And it's like (laughs) the gentleman that we saw earlier sitting on the cliff. They have flashlights and they go to look for the body and they find it at the side of the road. Our good friend, Julie screams. Yeah, and boy, does she have a great scream. Oh, really? I think she does not. Really? I think she does. (laughs) Especially when she's on that episode of Boy Meets World as Jennifer Love Pfefferman, and she's the screamer. And then Angela has an argument with her because Angela believes she's the screamer of these parts. (laughs) Yes, girl, I am the screamer around here. (laughs) I just, um, I don't think... It's not my favorite. I've heard better. Yeah. I mean, Faye Ray is the best, but Jennifer Love Hewitt, I don't know. She might be the best in the 90s. Mm, I agree to disagree. I think there might be others. There's something about it because, I mean, it's very prominent and she screams a few times in the movie. Yeah. And I really feel like her scream is forced. (laughs) It's a forced scream. Ray checks for a pulse. Ray's no good at this. We come to find out later on. He thinks that this person is dead. Um, They can't really tell who it is because the face is super messed up. Messed up. And there's blood everywhere. Barry is upset and instantly doesn't want to call the police. He says that they'll all know that it was him driving and that he will get in trouble. And then he's like, well, you know, I think Ray chimes in at some point. And then they all realize that there's just alcohol everywhere inside the car. They'll think it was drunk driving and these kids will get in trouble. The police will never believe that this was an accident. We're going to fry no matter who takes the fall. Ray also ends up saying, yeah, that it'll be manslaughter. It's just, they spiral out immediately. And Julie says that they need to call the police. She's very adamant about them calling the police. She ends up telling them that if they do leave, they'll be able to trace back the damage to this body to Barry and his car. And she basically says, if there's some of him on the car, there's some of the car on him. Mm -hmm. So by that logic... If they find the body, if the police finds the body, they'll find out who ran him over. Yep. Barry wants to dump the body in the ocean, and they think that it'll wash away any evidence on the body. And Ray very much agrees with this. He points out that he isn't as fortunate as the rest of them and doesn't have anyone to really back him. So if he ends up going down for this, his life is completely ruined. Barry then points out to Julie that if they do get caught, or they call the police, that she could lose her scholarship. So everyone is really just playing some mind games with each other to get through this and just ultimately get rid of this body. While they're debating, Max 
drives up in a truck up behind their car. And as they are moving the body, they kind of dump it over the side of a little barrier. There's a barrier. A barrier on the side of the road. And our good friend Barry pretends to be throwing up. Yeah. Uh, They send Julie over to go talk to Max and um, be a distraction and try to get him out of there. He's being uh, really weird and just kind of smarmy and just. I know he's trying to act so cool and I hate the line that he has. I hate the way he says it where they talk about Julie says Barry had too much to drink. Max notices that Barry's car is damaged and Max says, ooh, daddy's going to be mad. I don't think he says it just like that, but you're not an actor. <laughs> what are you talking about? You're not an actor. An actor. Ooh, daddy's going to be mad. You can just put it in there. You can just put the little snippet. Daddy's going to be mad. Ray wanders over and there's like not the best interaction between him and Max. Max just does not care for Ray at all because he likes Julie. Yeah. He says something like, it's like, you almost have that rich boy attitude down. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. He's real mean. You almost got that rich boy act down, right? He drives off and the gang takes the body to a small dock. And it seems like it's a, an abandoned dock of some sort. Like there's no trespassing um, or it's closed, I believe. So no one should be there. Julie notices that there's a tattoo on um, this person and wants to check if there's a wallet. Barry says, pretty much like shuts that down and says, let's pretend that he's an escaped lunatic with a hook for a hand. Helen then offers to go ahead and check for the wallet. As she's checking the body. No, uh, no, no. She doesn't go to check for the wallet. Oh. They're talking about someone needs to actually push him in the water and they're arguing over who will actually do it. Are you and, kidding me? No. And Helen, <laughs> Helen finally says, Christ already, I'll do it. Oh, is that what the, I thought she was going for the wallet. No, because Helen earlier said she doesn't want to know who it is. Oh, okay. I thought so. I was like, why did she change her mind? Well, okay, cool. Thank you. I don't know how I missed that, but Helen <laughs> says I'll push him in the water, Yeah, which is very interesting to me. So um, she goes to push him in the water, and guess what? This dead body's not dead. It wakes up, snatches her crown, <laughs> and uh, falls into the water. <laughs> so Barry's very nice here. I guess. He- um, he's not nice. He just <laughs> needs to destroy the evidence. Well, he goes in. Yeah, I guess that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Barry's not in this for anyone except for himself. Well, he went in and got the crown from her. And these underwater shots are pretty neat. I like the way that uh, this runned over victim looks underwater. Yeah. Yeah. And as he's grabbing, as he grabs. Ran over, runned over, ran ran over. (laughs) As he's grabbing the crown from the body, the body then opens its eyes and looks at him. and He screams and swims back up to the surface. Yeah, he screams underwater. Oh my goodness. When he gets up to the dock, he makes them all agree and make a pact that they will not talk about this again. Ray and Helen very much just kind of like pretty much immediately agree. Meanwhile, Julie's reluctantly agreeing and she's not repeating things the way that he would like her to repeat them and confirming this. Basically, he says, you know, we're going to have our pact. We're not going to say anything. Do do you agree? And all Julie does is shake her head and he grabs her by the neck and says, you you need to effing say it. Don't just nod your head. And 
Ray, he just says, get off of her, Barry. And the look of disgust that Julie has when she looks at Ray because he didn't do anything to defend her is... Well, I mean, there's so much going in there. Ray's gone along with this plan the entire time. He has not stood by her once, and then he did allow her to get physically attacked. Yeah, he should have done something. Yeah, he's not the best boyfriend now. He uh, tries to comfort her, and she wants none of that. It is a very, very, very foggy night um, as they are driving away. When they do leave, we get a last look at the dock area and it pans down to the ground and the charm that we saw the man holding earlier is laying on the ground. Correct. Now it's one year later and we are at college. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know which college? I don't know which college. Okay, well, we're at college and Julie is sitting in her little dorm area and she is reluctant to leave. She's packed, but she does not want to at all. Her roommate, floor mate, friend of some sort comes in and we get a lot of exposition about how bad we're supposed to believe that Julie looks. Because <laughs> she doesn't look bad. She yet. doesn't look bad. <laughs> her hair's a, a little flatter now than it was yeah, before. She, she's just, more pale. She's the slightest bit paler. And her clothes are just a little baggier. <laughs> but it's still like a crop top. <laughs> just a baggier <laughs> crop top. Yeah. Julie looks fine, but emotionally she's not doing well. <laughs> I put down that the roommate points out that she looks pasty and horrible. <laughs> and I just said her hair is flat. <laughs> because <laughs> honestly, that's it. There's no oomph to those bangs. Julie, you're going home for the summer. And you're going to get a tan on that pasty pale tail of yours. This roommate ends up driving her back home home and julie is greeted by her mom she's distant and her mother is worried um her mom's annoying uh yeah you know there's the people in this movie in as a whole are not the most likable people yeah except helen no (laughs) (laughs) um we end up finding out here that her father is dead and that she is not doing well in school at all And her mom is worried about her future there because she does have a scholarship. And she asks if she's on drugs. Are you on drugs? She does. Our good friend Julie has received a letter and this letter has no return address or a stamp on it, which is two red flags. Don't open that mail. But she does. And in it is a little piece of paper and it says, I know what you did last summer. And I gotta say, this killer has really nice writing. He does. Also, you would insert the part... That Leonardo DiCaprio meme from, is it Wolf of Wall Wall Street? Where he looks at the TV and is snapping. (laughs) No, that's uh, One Spot of Time in Hollywood. Ah, there we go. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Why would he do that? Because it's the name of the movie? Yeah. (laughs) Julie is freaked out and she asks her mom if she knows who sent this. But obviously her mother has no clue because there's no information on this. But Julie gives it the old college try, I guess. And her, mo- and her mom wants to see it, but she won't show her. Now it's nighttime and Julie is just staring at this one sentence on a piece of paper. And there's some scratching, some wind, some howling outside. She's a little freaked out. It's a dark and stormy night. So she locks all the windows in this room. Yeah, there's a great exterior shot showing the windy night. I love windy nights. Mm-hmm. It's always relaxing to me. But faintly in the background, you do hear that metal charm clink. Oh, really? Yeah, so you know he's about. 
The next day, she goes to Shiver's department store. Yeah, and you know what? I think I found a mistake. What? The Shiver's department store sign. It says Shiver apostrophe S. Mm, that would make is... their that would mean her name is Helen Shiver, but oh. it's Helen Shivers, so it should be Shivers apostrophe. Yeah. We see that Elsa, Helen's sister, is there, and Julie goes up and asks her for Helen's New York number because she does not have it and would like to speak with Helen. Fact check, Julie. Our good friend Helen did not stay in New York and actually came back and is working at the department store. Um, She looks a little not well also. And very made up. Yes, she just, I mean, she just looks like she's holding it together, barely. Uh, Julie shows her the letter. They can't believe that someone saw them and Helen suggests that they show it to Barry. And as this is going on, they cut to suspicious looking shots of Elsa watching their conversation. Yes. Could she be our killer? I know, we do have a couple of red herrings in this movie. We also find out that Helen and Barry have broken up. Um, The girls go to visit Barry and our good friend Helen is smoking. And again, she looks like she's barely holding it together. And Barry sees them and is pretty openly hostile towards them as they come up to whatever estate of a place that he lives at with his parents. He blows off the letter and he also then insults the girls because... They aren't looking their best, apparently. I know what you did last summer. Ooh. I know what you did last summer. Ooh. He does say that a lot happened last summer. And from there, we end up getting some information from Julie. It turns out that she was monitoring the news from the town. And about three weeks later, the body of David Egan was found. The police called it an accidental drowning. And we also find out that Ray and Julie have broken up as well. The gang is all broken apart. Barry then deduces through whatever logic that it was Max because Max had shown up there. He doesn't like Max. Max is a weirdo. What you think? Max. (laughs) (laughs) So they decide that they're going to go down to the main street that is right along the ocean, the main part of the town, and talk with Max. Yeah, he's on like some sort of, I don't know, is it a pier, a dock, something? Yeah, he's a fisherman. Yeah. Um, A crabber. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> crabman crab crabberman <laughs> crabberman and so barry goes to talk to him barry outright well first he says let me talk to you over here max max for some reason says sure and they go into sort of like a refrigerated room which has giant ice blocks in it and he attacks max in this like makeshift walk-in freezer he tells them to leave them alone and on their way in he had grabbed this hook and he ends up cutting max's ear with this hook and then hooking the hook into a big old ice thing yeah barry he's annoying here too he's threatening max and he tries to act so tough he says i have no problem killing you right now like like he could just kill someone like that come on he's already murdered before yeah well i'll fucking kill your ass i got no problem oh get the fuck off me get off of me max doesn't know what he's talking about and very much is like freaked out by the whole thing the gang minus one ends up running into ray and now the gang is reunited yeah and I, I like the line that Barry has here. I like the way that Ryan Phillippe reads it. And he says, so Ray grew up to be a fisherman, huh? 
So Ray grew up to be a fisherman, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, he is a fisherman. Barry and Helen uh, decide to leave, but they do go separately wherever it is they're going. So I think Barry just goes off to do whatever. Helen's like, bye, and leaves. Ray and Julie talk a little bit, and she tells him about the letter. Ray tells her he knows that she holds him responsible for what happened. But she assures him at that point that she doesn't hold him responsible for the actions that she took, but she also does not want to know him. So she wants to be done with everyone and everything in this town. And she walks away. He looks stunned and super bummed out as she walks away. Max is working in this crab boiler room of some sort. Yeah, it's adjacent to the freezer he was in earlier. And there are hooks all around. However, the hook that was in the ice that we saw earlier is now missing. Well, uh, Max had that hook. He was using the hook and then he put it on a block of ice himself again. And then he went to another room and then when he came back, it was gone. Oh, okay. This steamy room is where he goes in to steam some crab. And we get a little bit of a suspenseful scene here and the room gets progressively more steamy. And someone dressed up as a fisherman hooks him under his jaw and drags him over the pots of boiling crab. Yeah, it's a pretty graphic moment. Yeah. Um, there's a great shot where you just see the blood spewing from underneath his chin and mm-hmm. looks very painful. And yeah. Goodbye, Max. Goodbye, Max. I'm not 100% sure why Max had to die because he had nothing to do with this. Yes, that's true, but he was there. Mm. Um, the real reason why he was killed, though, is because producers wanted to kill in the movie. He was scripted not to die. Mm-hmm. He was going to be maybe a, another red herring. But well, I mean, they set him up as a red herring, but that immediately is yeah gone. Yeah, producers wanted to kill earlier in the movie mm. to show that this threat that everyone is feeling getting this letter of I know what you did last summer is genuine because without us seeing that kill, we don't even know it's a killer at this point. Oh, that's true. We're now with Barry and it is the evening. He shows up to a gym. Again, he's aggressive. He pulls up with his little car. He's the only person there. Yeah, and he's listening to Hush, Hush. <laughs> na, 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 na. He ends up hearing someone in the locker room that he's in, and he calls out, I believe, and there's no response. Hello? He then is taking a shower and sees a shadow in the shower. And when he goes back to his locker, there is a Polaroid photo of his car with the words on the back of the photo and it says, I know. He looks around and back to the locker. When he looks in, his jacket is missing. Yeah. He goes outside and someone has taken his car. He runs after them and the car goes backwards up the street, then turns on its lights and starts chasing him. Yeah, and he thinks it's Max. Max, you're fucking dead. Yes, he does. The car then runs him through a billboard and a tiny shed of some sort and yeah, onto some, like some sort a of, dock. Yeah, some sort of building he went through. Yeah, he went through some stuff. He starts screaming for help as the person who took the car comes out. And here we get another shot of... Our fisherman, and these are some of my favorite shots looking up at him yeah. um, because he always ends up dropping down this hook or the hook is close to the camera. I really enjoy that. Yeah, these are some good shots. It's a POV from Barry, and because Barry is on his back lying down, 
the shot is upside down. Yes. He starts apologizing to the fisherman and our scene then fades to black. The gang is now at a hospital and they're talking to Barry. He says that he didn't see a face and tells them that it was a man in a slicker and he could have killed him if he really wanted to. No, he wasn't trying to kill me last night. If he wanted me dead, he could have done it. He's just fucking with us. He's playing it off like it's not a big deal. Yes. Because if he wanted him dead, he could have done it. Ray now says that he wants to tell the police, but Barry doesn't want to and reminds them that it was murder. Helen agrees with Barry and says that they should find this gentleman that's trying to kill them and talk to them, which is by far the worst idea (laughs) and probably the least probable. That's the worst idea in the history of bad ideas ever since taking dinosaurs off this island. Um, (laughs) Ray thinks that it might be Max. So again, everyone is still on this Max thing. The girls find out about Susie and David. They end up doing, it's very funny because we get an introduction to technology at the time with this big old laptop, this big, tiny laptop. It's a bulky laptop, small yeah, small screen. screen. Yeah. Julie runs a search and on David Egan's name, and we find out about Susie and David. She died two years ago in a car wreck in the same area where they hit the body. And we find out that her boyfriend, David, had survived. We find out that his mom and sister are his only living relatives um, because, as we had said earlier, he died last summer. And so the ladies decide that they're going to go talk to the mom and the sister. They make it down to the Egan residence, which is in the middle of nowhere. It's out in a very rural area. And they meet Anne Heche. Anne Heche, who plays Missy. Yes. They're using fake names. Well, first, while they're walking over, they say, they feel like Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> I think uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt calls Helen Jody instead mm-hmm. of Helen. Um, Jody, will you call AAA? Yeah, I'm not crazy about the Anne Hayes scenes. Um, they're a little bit of a like, I don't th- they're unnecessary. And then they try to bring in this very weird Texas Chainsaw yeah. vibe to the movie. Yeah, there's that. And I don't know, the whole David Egan, Susie Willis, Missy thing. I just, I just don't care really for some reason. <laughs> I mean, it is a little... I mean, it plays into it. Yeah. It's I mean, not I, unnecessary, but it is a little much. Yeah. It, it's kind of hard to follow. And they end up faking that their car stalled out and they need to make a phone call because this is pretty really commonality of cellular phones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they do need to make a phone call. Helen goes to make the phone call and as she turns around she runs into a slicker and we get a little jump scare yeah and she has a wonderful gasp we find out that uh, missy's mother left to aurora so it's just her living there and we see photos of him around as well helen tries of to who, david egan yes yeah Helen comes in and tries to get information and mentions that David had a friend um, and tries to get a name just like, oh, remember he was best friends with so-and-so. And we find out from Missy that a friend of David's did come by to pay his respects and his name was Billy Blue. Blue, Billy Blue. And uh, she just says we had like a little connection, like she's a little smitten by him, but then he got a little freaked out and he left. She thinks yeah. that he felt a little guilty. The girls 
end up leaving, going back to the car, and Julie feels guilty. She feels very, very guilty that they killed David Egan. And we get a jump scare here from Missy. Hey! Who comes to return our good friend Helen's cigarettes. And the car, of course, is fine, so they are able to drive off. They decide that they want to locate this friend, Billy Blue. They think that they can go back home and get Elsa's yearbook because she graduated the same year that Billy did. And maybe they can get Missy to point out who this Billy Blue person is. And Helen ends up musing a little bit that maybe David wanted to die and he felt responsible for what had occurred to Susie. As they're saying goodbye, Helen tells Julie that she misses her and Julie does not respond to this. She just kind of gives her the cold shoulder. Everyone is trying, or at least Ray and Helen and her mom, are trying to get back into Julie's life and have a relationship with her, but she doesn't want to be close to anyone anymore. Nope. Now we go and follow our good friend Helen and she goes home and we see her life, which is, well, we get to see a little bit of her life and it's not as happy as you would think that it would have been. Her dad is very much seems like an absent parent. He's sitting in their TV room and he's watching some sports and he- Baseball. He does not acknowledge her whatsoever. He's uninterested and distant. As she goes in, he does not notice that someone else walks into the house as well. She goes into the kitchen to go grab a Coke and um, eventually goes upstairs. And I like the way that this is played off because when you see the person that walks into the house, we see that POV of them walking through and almost to the kitchen. And then she comes out. And then as I like the framing of this, where the hallway that she's walking towards us, the camera, we can also see the top of the stairs, which are parallel to where she's walking. And we see the fisherman at the top of the stairs and he goes into one of the rooms. Yeah, as she turns the corner towards the stairs, he walks into her bedroom. How he knew it was her bedroom, I don't know. Maybe he staked it out another night previously. Possible. Uh, He had a year to do it. We get some tense music as our good friend Helen walks around. As she walks into her house, it pushes into the closet, which is all dark, but we do hear some breathing coming from that closet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Helen reminisces around her room a little bit. Yeah, and she has some ice skates on the wall. And I like to think that Sarah Michelle Gellar was asked what kind of things Helen would have on her wall. And Sarah Michelle Gellar chose those ice skates. And the reason I think that is because Sarah Michelle Gellar is a big fan of ice skating. And she ice skates herself. She put it into a couple episodes of Buffy, as a matter of fact. You get a different tone when you talk about Buffy. Buffy. It turns out that the next day, she will be passing her crown on to the new queen of whatever it's called. Croker queen. Thank you. Um, the next day. So she's having a moment. And it's really going back to how la- that day last year, she really thought that she was going to go to New York and she was going to start her new life as an actress and just be successful. And she's actually just back home and no one cares about her. And she feels very alone and isolated. And it's just a reminder that things are not going well for her. Yeah, and of course, Elsa comes in. 
Yes, her sister comes in, who is really mean. She's a bit much. And she pretty much tells her that she needs to show up to inventory the next day, even though she knows that her sister has plans Mm -hmm. um, and that she needs to be at the parade. She comments that Helen is pathetically obsessed with her hair, (laughs) only cares about these superficial things. And the whole beauty queen thing is really dumb. You and your hair. Just so pathetic. Because Elsa mentioned how important her hair is to her, that gives the fisherman an idea. It does. It is now the next morning and Helen wakes up and her crown is haphazardly placed on her head. And when she goes to grab it, hair also comes with it. And we find out that her hair was all chippity chopped up and she's horrified. We also see on her mirror, there is uh, the word soon written on it. And it's in like lipstick. And Helen freaks out because her hair is all chippy chopped up. And she smishy smashes (laughs) that mirror with her fist. Yeah, and she has a good scream here too. She does have a good scream. And she looks uh, very freaked out. The music's really good here too. I should mention the composer of this movie is John Debney, who is a big-time composer. Mm-hmm. You might know him best from Haunted Mansion Holiday. Mm. Julie gets a call, and she heads over to Helen's. As she's driving, she hears a scratching and a rustling sound coming from the trunk of her car. Mm-hmm. And she pulls over. When she goes to open the trunk of her car, she sees a bunch of crabs and the body of our dear friend, Max. Max. He's covered with crabs. <laughs> she then takes off and runs to Helen's where she finds Barry there as well. They all go back to the car and she's telling them what they found. And They're alarmed. Our good friend Helen is wearing a very interesting hat. She has all her hair tucked on there. Her, her whole outfit was interesting. Yeah, the whole thing was very interesting. She looks almost like a fly girl <laughs> from In Living Color. She's always fly to me. You can do... I know. You love her so much. She tells them that Max's body was in there and he was wearing the jacket that Barry was missing earlier. Yeah, it's funny that she noticed that because I wouldn't have noticed I just saw crabs. (laughs) So when they open up the trunk, it's empty. Yeah. It looks like nothing. Nary a crab was seen in there. Not even like there was ever anything in there. Yeah. She says that he's messing with them and he's waiting for something. And here we get the iconic. Best line of the movie. And it's uh, our good friend Julie spinning in a circle, screaming. (laughs) What are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for? So we get that. And Ray shows up and gets punched by Barry. <laughs> yeah, like he just shows up and Barry says, you're going to die. <laughs> um, he, and it's such a bad punch. Like, it looks like he really, I mean, obviously he did not hit him on purpose or in real life. But it looks like it misses by so much. You're going to die. He accuses him of murder and messing with them. So at this point, they think that Ray is the only one who hasn't had anything happen to him yet. Yeah. um, And that it was him. 
there's, Ray, a, there's a great exchange here. Then says that he is part of the group, that he too has been terrorized and he got a letter. And I do think that this line coming from our good friend Barry is very funny. Yeah. Where he ends up pointing out what happened to everyone. He got run over. Yeah. Julie had a body in her trunk. And our good friend Helen got her hair chippy chopped off. And, and you get a letter? That's balanced. Yes, it's just so good. I got run over. Helen gets her hair chopped off. Julie gets a body in a trunk and you get a letter? That's balanced. What body? This does not add up for Barry, who is still trying to fight. And Julie ends up breaking up this fight. She ends up telling them about this Billy Blue lead that they got. And we we get a little shot of Ray and he looks a little... Says, how do you know that? Perks up at this. Um, He's a little alarmed. She ends up telling him that they want to take the yearbook over to Missy and see if they can get an ID if possible. Ray then squashes all of this and says he doesn't want to do any of this. And he's trying to convince them all to leave town. He's like, let's just go. Julie doesn't want to. And she says that she wants her life back. She doesn't want to run away from this and keep running away. She just wants this to be over. And she gives him an ultimatum. Now we're at the parade and Helen is on a float and at the head of this float is Barry and they have a little bit of an exchange where their love affair of yonder years, years past is rekindling because he feels protective of her and you know, she's just happy that he cares about her. And I got to say, the fisherman gave her a fantastic haircut. This haircut is, well, he didn't give her that haircut. She went and got her hair did. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's nice to see Sarah Mitchell Geller not having to wear that wig now. <laughs> we can see her real hair, which um, is reminiscent of Buffy season two hairdo. <laughs> she spots a man in the crowd uh, wearing a slicker and Barry takes off and attacks this man who happens to be just an old man who's cowering under him now. So Helen keeps looking out in the crowd and just keeps seeing all of these people at the seaside town wearing slickers for some reason. It's really a stupid outfit to just wear on not a boat, if you ask me. There's at one point, there's a gentleman who turns around, he's got these big old glasses, and he just looks like they were like, wear this slicker, wear this hat, which honestly... Maybe the fishermen did make them do that because that would make sense. Um, Maybe, but I don't know. It's a fish, it's a fishing town. Everyone uh, yeah, walks around like that's that. That's true. Our good friend Helen does spot the killer, um, and he is standing on the roof of one of the buildings. And he shows her his hook. His hook. Meanwhile, our good friend Julie has gone back to see Missy. She's talking to Missy about looking at the photos of Billy Blue. Leading up to this, we're in the backyard of Missy's house and there's a bunch of animal carcasses stapled to some fences. It's like they tried to do a Texas Chainsaw thing, but it just did not work out. It was like when you go to a haunted house in someone's front yard and they want you to have the illusion of a rural backwoods folk who slaughter their own animals but they just glue random <laughs> things to a fence yeah that's the feeling i get with that yeah and then missy comes out and she got a little knife and she's got her little accent and she's just waving her knife and accent at her missy tells her that david killed himself that he left a note and for insurance purposes, she did not tell anyone about the note. Yeah, and she says that the town had blamed him for Susie's death. Yeah. 
which is uh, why he was so depressed and wanted to kill himself. Yep. She has a note and shows this note to Julie. And it's the exact same note. I mean, writing as a note that Julie has received. Yeah. Black letters, white piece of paper. It's very quick. And the note said, I will never forget last summer. Julie tells Missy that this isn't a suicide note. It's a threat. Yes. She tells him that she didn't kill himself and that she was there. She tells her about the tattoo that she saw on his arm that said Susie. And our good friend Missy says that he didn't have a tattoo. And she's over this and she kicks her out of the house. Julie thinks about it and realizes that this body was not David Egan. Back at the pageant, Barry is comforting Helen and promises not to let anything happen to her and tells her that he'll be up in the balcony just like he always is. Julie's driving back. Barry's in the balcony. The pageant is happening. We get this really great scene where Helen looks absolutely horrified as this woman who does not look like she's a high school student at all. Well, I don't know if they're supposed to be high school students per se, but yeah, this person looks like she's in her late 40s at least. Um, But she is singing Fame, and this is her talent portion. I like the look. Because I don't know why Julie has to be on stage when this is happening. Helen. Or sorry, Helen. Um, but she's sitting there and she just looks horrified. Yeah, she says, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's a great reaction. Well, as we're hearing fame, our good friend Barry is up in the balcony and he is attacked. Helen is able to see a little bit of this happening and she screams and tries to get help. But for some reason, this audience just crowds her and then at one point restrains her. Yeah, everyone thinks she's just having some sort of breakdown or something and and it's just acting crazy. Sarah Michelle Geller is really good here, though. Oh, yeah, no, she's good. A policeman shows up and then shouts in her face. (laughs) It's the most aggressive way to be confronted by someone who could potentially be helping you. Well, she shouts in his face more so. That's fine, but he's trying to help her, but no one, I don't think he wants to help her. Hey, hey! What's the problem? Help him! He's gonna kill him! Who? Who's killing who? Up in the balcony! He takes her to the balcony and he does a real half-assed looks daisy around um, and does not find Barry. He doesn't believe her and they walk away and we get a little bit of a the banister going the other way covered in blood. Drippy blood. Yep. Trip. Trip. Um, the announcer then tries to calm the crowd and tells them that it was a false alarm and the policeman offers to take her home and as they are driving he is questioning her on what happened and wants details of this fisherman did this uh, fisherman guy use the same hook to cut all your hair off (laughs) no we used scissors asshole the road that they're traveling down which is the main road through town is blocked and they are directed through the a back alley. Here they have to stop to help a stranded motorist who is blocking a little bit of the alley. Helen takes a look and sees that it is the fisherman and tries to warn the cop who's just a jerk hole anyway. So he is like, what? And um, gets killed by the fisherman. That's him! is stuck in the back seat of this cop car and so she has to bust her way out and she's able to kick the window yeah and 
runs away in some chunky heels. Meanwhile, our good friend Julie is concurrently running another search and finds out that Susie Willis, she has a father who's a local fisherman. His name is Benjamin Willis. A fisherman. Um, Helen runs into the Shivers department store. Yeah. Now, this scene here, this is what I consider one of the best slasher movie chases of all time. It's right up there with Michael Myers chasing Laurie Strode in the original Halloween. It's very reminiscent of Mm -hmm. it. The music is really, really great here. You get this great sort of silhouette shot of Helen running around the corner and then the fisherman's right behind her and she's running towards the shop and she's pounding on the door trying to get in and her sister has to go back to get the keys, take it a long time, and then at the last second, she gets let in. Yeah. Helen runs to go make a phone call and call for help and tells Elsa to make sure that all of the doors are locked. As Elsa is locking up the back entrance, she is attacked by the fisherman. And we have a few things that happen here. She screams out as she's being slashed. Um, And right before that, we get a reflection. She wears glasses. And in the glasses, we get a reflection of the fisherman, which I told you happened a lot in these movies. And I believe the two movies that we talked about were Kevin Williamson movies. Yeah. But we got it in Scream and we also got it in Halloween H2O mm-hmm. where you end up seeing the killer in the reflection of someone's eyeball. Yeah. Well, H- H2O, it was a victim in Michael Myers' eye. Helen ends up hearing Elsa being attacked. We hear her scream. And we also see this shot that follows the fisherman and he has hooked Elsa through like the ribs, the sternum, and he's dragging her. Yeah, store. that's a very scary shot. It's yeah. really good. I don't know if it's a dummy or if it she's the real actress is rigged up or something, but it looks pretty realistic. Yeah. Helen isn't able to finish her call and she calls out for Elsa. She walks through the store and as she approaches the main area where we have like the way the department is set up is when you walk in, there is clothing on either side, but the main part that you walk in through is the men's clothing. And we had seen this earlier when she ran in in the evening. All of the mannequins have this plastic sheeting on top of them. So she walks through there and <laughs> I really like this. She's realizing what's around her and there's one too many mannequins standing around and it is our good friend the fisherman who has this plastic sheet over him and and you can see the terror in her face as she slowly turns to really look at this extra figure that's a great shot and he um lunges at her she takes off running and finds elsa's body then she ends up finding this like lift a pulley lift kind Mm -hmm. of a thing and she lifts herself up as the fisherman starts to approach and he's able to get his little hooky hook into this little space and starts kind of um slashing at her feet and she's like trying to dodge and weave and stuff he ends up taking the stairs up and she is finally on the second floor and needs to get out of there the only way out is through this window so she jumps out a window and falls into like a pile of trash at the bottom meanwhile um, our good friend Julie has arrived at the auditorium which is now completely empty Helen runs towards the parade that is now happening with the new queen and she has a visible limp as she's trying to 
um, run there. She almost makes it. Yeah, she's about 10 feet away from freedom. Yep. Well, not freedom, but safety. safety. She's found by the fisherman who then attacks her in the alley and is able to corner her behind some tires, like some tires that are set up. Yeah. And it seems like he has a little bit of a hard time actually getting her. She defends herself a few times. Yeah, she puts up a fight. But ultimately, our good friend Helen does end up getting got by the fisherman. She does. And when I saw that as a 13-year-old, my heart broke. (laughs) Um... But I, I, I got to say this, even if I wasn't such a huge Buffy fan, mm-hmm. this whole sequence from Helen leaving the police car to now is so good with everything, the editing, the music, the pace of it. And it's just scary and it's really good. Yeah. Julie is running now towards Ray. The next, next logical place that she needs to go is to Ray, who lives on a boat. She tells him that they didn't kill David, that he was killed by Benjamin Willis. And Benjamin Willis did not die, who was the man that w- they ran over. Ray invites her inside of his boat. And as she accepts, she looks over and sees that his boat is called Billy Blue. Billy Blue. She runs away as he tries to explain what's she happening. She says it was you. Yep. You're the fisherman. They run on the docks and Ray is stopped by an older man. He's knocked down. Yeah, he's blindsided with a, mm. with an outstretched arm. Uh, uh, what is that called? A clothesline. Yeah. <laughs> and I like Julie stops and, you know, she screams and sees that he's down. And this older gentleman <laughs> leans over Ray and he's checking him out. And he looks at Julie and says... Easy child. I know. That was very funny. Easy child. He tells her to go to his boat, and she does. And when she gets there, she sees a fisherman hat and some clippings, Susie's death, and the whole gang. So what do we deduce from that? This boat belongs to the killer. Yeah, he is our killer now. And... Also, we noticed that Julie's hat is in that room. Mm. What I find funny is that he has photos of Helen in the beauty pageant from earlier that day. How is that so possible? So during this time, he went and developed some film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we also see that he has the I Love You pendant that we saw earlier in the film. He says that kids like you should be out drinking driving, running people over, and getting away with murder. And she realizes that this man is Benjamin Willis. Ben Willis. Kids like you should be out having fun, drinking, partying, running people over, getting away with murder, things like that. Do you remember what his boat is called? Sweet Susie. Sweet Susie. She ends up trying to run away, but ultimately she's cornered on this tiny boat because he's able to... Anyway, she goes out, he's able to counter her. And so she ends up trying to grab this flare gun as he gets the boat to drive it out to sea. Ray is now conscious and sees them and takes a smaller boat, a little motorboat, out to Ben's boat. Julie is now below deck. Ray gets onto the boat and now fights with Ben. Yeah. Again, I really like the music when Ray makes his way onto the boat and Ben Willis comes up to him and says, welcome aboard, Ray. (laughs) (laughs) Why is his voice so gravelly? Because he's a fisherman. Welcome aboard, Ray. 
ends up throwing Ray overboard and Julie is now trapped. Ray, though, was able to hang on to some nets that were dragging and shimmies up those nets. Julie makes it into this room that is below deck, below, below deck, um, that is full of ice. And as she's digging around, our good friend Helen's body slides out. I remember when I was a kid and saw this, I... I wasn't sure if it was Helen or not. None of the bodies look like who they're supposed to look like. Yeah, it didn't really look like her so much. But I noticed this time, I don't know why I noticed this time in particular, but this time rewatching it, there's a kind of a more wide shot that really shows Helen's dress from the pageant. Mm -hmm. This room is full of bodies and ice. Yeah, So, so, and then Julie's hand uh, hits Barry's face. Yeah, that does not look like Barry, but you just, by the power of deduction, you find (laughs) out, you realize that this is Barry. Ben finds Julie as Ray is able to save her. He ends up knocking out Ben. Yeah, he lets go of this... I don't know, this p- swinging piece of metal or something, right? He gets hit in the face with this this metal swinging thing. There's all sorts of things on and, this boat because yeah. it's a fisherman's boat. So there's that net that drags. There's just all sorts of things. And he's anticipating this thing hitting him in the face and it's a profile shot. And he makes a funny face when he's about to get hit. I always thought he looked like Popeye. Oh. <laughs> So uh, Ben's now conscious again, and he backhands Ray with the hook. So I think it's very funny. He uses this hook a lot, not to hook people as much as to slap the crap. Yeah, it's a good thing he didn't have it turned around. (laughs) Yeah. He goes to attack Julie with the hook. Oh, here here comes a great line. Gets tangled. No, no, no. You got to say the lines. No, you can. So at this point, he goes to attack Julie, and he has a few things to say to her. (laughs) Yeah, he's about to kill her. He says, happy 4th of July, Julie. (laughs) (laughs) And then he says, then he says his final line. (laughs) And that's what makes us a 4th of July. (laughs) (laughs) The whole thing takes place on 4th of July. There were fireworks. It's very funny. (laughs) Because it could have really been Memorial Day. (laughs) But he's like, happy 4th of July, Julie. (laughs) I do love that line. But he says, let me give you some advice when you leave a man for dead make sure he's really dead and that's when he puts his hook up and he's about to get her but then ray hits the the lever and it catches his hand you sound more like beetlejuice than you do <laughs> ben willis chewing a doll <laughs> so as he brings up his little hooky hook his hand gets tangled in this netting rope thing and Ray is able to engage this motor that pulls the ropes up and Ben is then pulled up into the air and when it gets through the little pulley his little hand uh, gets snapped off and then his body gets flung into the ocean (laughs) and uh, they are shocked and they just stare at where his body should have landed and he should be dead with how he hit the ocean. Back at the dock, the police are there and they are investigating and checking out the boat. Our couple is now there and Ray, they're kind of talking about it amongst themselves. And Ray tells her that the guilt made him go see Missy. And he also tells her that he loves her. And Um, her response is another one of the best lines of the movie. Oh, I think I groaned at it. (laughs) What's her response? She says, I understand your pain. (laughs) um the police question them as to why this man would want to kill them and they both respond that they don't know and um, the police are checking out the boat and 
they are unable to locate the body, but we do see his hand that is there with the little hook in the netting. Yeah, and he says the body will show up. They usually do. Yep, it is now one year later, and we are back at college. Yeah, and Julie James looks so happy. She's bubbly, and her life is all good. She's not a little bit more pale anymore. Now she's just normal (laughs) color. Um, But her bangs are bouncier. Her bangs are bouncier. Her cheeks are a little rosier. And she's talking on the phone very excitedly. She's talking to presumably Ray. Yeah, she was. Things are going good. And she will be seeing him soonly. Uh, Where he could ravage her. Yeah. Oh, God. I hate that term so much. (laughs) She's setting up her shower. Then she goes out to the locker area. And we see that there's a little note for her. And uh, she's got some mail. And she goes to check it. But the whole time we get very suspenseful music. It's a close-up of it. It looks like her previous unwanted mail from the previous summer. Yep. When she opens it up, we find out that it's an invite to a pool party. So, (laughs) (laughs) oh, Julie, just read your mail. She goes back into the shower, and now the shower is super, super, super foggy. It's steamy. And on it, someone's been leaving little notes on the shower window door. Mm, shower Shower door door. (laughs) and it says i still know and it's written there and we hear the little clingy clang of that hook but it sounds not on the hook of the the pendant is that what that was yeah i thought it was a bell (laughs) and i was like this doesn't make sense to me as she turns around um we're looking straight which is our pov and we are looking at that shower door and our good friend the fisherman jumps through and the camera cuts to black as our good friend Julie is screaming. And we go to credits and that is the end of I Know What You Did Last Summer. I Know What You Did Last Summer, Julie. I do like how he says Julie <laughs> yeah. and July. So what'd you think? Oh, it's a great picture. So rewatching this again, yes, I gotta say, uh-huh. it doesn't hold up for me as well oh as <laughs> it once did. Oh my gosh, I, it's fun. It is fun, but the first half no scream. No scream is a million times better. But uh, the first half of this movie is pretty slow for me. Okay, and again, I'm not crazy about the whole David Egan, Susie Willis, mm. Missy storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to figure out, you know, did this guy kill himself? Is he the person they ran over? Yeah, I know that's supposed to be the big mystery point of it, but I just want a fun slasher movie. Once they get to uh, the pageant where Barry is knocked off, then the rest of the movie is great. It goes really okay. fast and it's yeah. and it's suspenseful and uh-huh. thrilling. And so I got to say, I do really like it even though the beginning doesn't hold up as well for me as it once did. Okay, I mean, it's fun. It's just a fun movie. Yeah. Everyone is so incredibly young in this movie. They are. And, you know, again, 13-year-old me was so excited because this movie came in the wake of Scream. This movie came out in 1997, so this was really when when I was really into my Scream obsession Mm -hmm. and a new movie by the writer of Scream. Plus... My two biggest crushes, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Jennifer Love Hewitt. Mm -hmm. I was in heaven. I was so excited. (laughs) On that note, let's talk about the making of I Know What You Did Last Summer, Julie. Let's do it.
I know what you did last summer, 1997. Mm-hmm. So did you know this was based off of a book? No. There is a book called I Know What You Did Last Summer, mm-hmm. written by Lois Duncan. I have the book. I have not read it. It came out in the 70s, maybe the 80s. Lois Duncan, she did not want this made into a movie in this fashion. She did not want it to be turned into a slasher movie because the book is not a slasher book. Oh. Not only that, she didn't want this to happen because, unfortunately, her youngest daughter was murdered in 1989. Oh my gosh, but they did it anyway. They did it anyway, but it is very different from the book. The only thing that really stuck was the characters have the same names as in the book. Okay. And they hit someone with their car. Okay. And then there's some sort of mystery about, I, I prob- I'm not sure exactly, but I think it's more about someone knows about it. Okay. But there's no killer or anything. So it's like a mystery. Yeah. Without the murder, aside from the initial murder. So the movie was written by Kevin Williamson. Again, he wrote Scream and Dawson's Creek. Mm-hmm. So this came out the year after Scream came out, but he actually wrote this before Scream, mm. but he couldn't get it sold anywhere. Okay. Of course, once Scream became successful, he was able to do whatever he wanted next, and he already had this one done, Mm -hmm. and he had been trying to get it made for years, so he finally got it put into production. Very nice. Shooting began on March 31st, 1997, and it was being shot for 10 weeks. I'm sorry, what? This movie was shot in 1997 and still made it out in 1997? Mm Mm-hmm. And it shot for 10 weeks? Yeah. When did it come out in 1997? It was released October 17th. Huh. Yeah, so it shot for 10 weeks. Uh, it was filmed in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. The only things that were not filmed in uh, North Carolina were the scenes where they, they hit Ben Willis with the car and David Egan was sitting on the cliff. All the cliff and windy roads because North Carolina doesn't have mountains like that. Oh, cliffs like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The director of this movie is Jim Gillespie. He was recommended by Kevin Williamson. Mm-hmm. I don't really know anything else that he had done besides this. For our cast, leading our cast is Jennifer Love Hewitt playing Julie James. She is probably most famous for what? Party of Five? Yeah. Party of Five and Ghost Whisperer and so many great teen movies. Can't hardly wait. Yeah. Trojan War. Um, Trojan War. Yeah, remember with uh, Will? Will Friedle yeah. from Boy Meets World, which brings me to the Boy Meets World episode that Jennifer Love Hewitt is on, playing Jennifer Love Pfefferman. Hi, Eric Matthews, and you are? Jennifer Love Pfefferman. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> My favorite episode of Boy Meets World. I know, you do bring that episode up a lot. <laughs> yeah. We should do an episode just on that episode. Maybe. Guess who was originally offered the role of Julie James? You might, you might be able to guess this if you think think about the time frame and who would have maybe been popular around this time. Um, popular in the 90s and... More of a television star. Okay. Okay. I'm going to say Katie Holmes. No. Oh. Michelle Williams. No. You know what? I'm blanking for some reason and I know I'm going to kick myself as soon as you say the name. <laughs> it was originally offered to Melissa Joan Hart. I would have never guessed that. I would have truly never guessed that they were like, you know, Clarissa, you should play this role. Yeah, Clarissa almost played the role, but she turned it down for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Another one that was in consideration was Danielle Harris, who played Jamie Lloyd in Halloween 4 and 5, Mm -hmm. Michael Myers' niece. 
Jennifer Love Hewitt initially went in to audition for the role of Helen, mm-hmm. but she got the role of Julie James. Okay. Speaking of Helen, we have Sarah Michelle Geller playing Helen Shivers. Mm-hmm. She is most famous for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, my favorite, and in terms of horror, she was also in Scream 2 and The Grudge and The Grudge 2 and... Scooby-Doo. Yeah, she was in Scooby-Doo. And it's got monsters. Yeah, Cruel Intentions. Oh, Cruel Intentions. And what's funny is she initially auditioned for the role of Julie, oh. but she got the role of Helen. I think they're both very well suited for these parts. Yeah. And remember I told you about the chase scene with Sam Marshall Geller in this movie is one of the best scenes in slasher history, in my opinion. Oh, okay. Well, that's a bold statement. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, it's a great chase scene. I really like it. What if it wasn't Buffy? No, I still would have really liked it. But I think uh, in terms to make it more realistic that the killer could catch up with her, I think Sarah Michelle Gellar actually put pebbles and rocks inside of her shoes to make herself not be able to run as fast. Because we all know how athletic Sarah Michelle Gellar is because after all, she played Buffy. Freddie Prince Jr. plays Ray Bronson. I didn't know his last name was Bronson, but apparently either. it is. I thought it was Ray Ray. <laughs> uh, this is where he met Sarah Michelle Geller, and they later married. Um, <laughs> they also were together in Scooby-Doo mm-hmm. and the sequel. She has a little cameo, Sarah Michelle Geller does, in She's All That, starring Freddie Prince Jr. Freddie Prince Jr., uh, I guess he's most famous for what? This? Scooby-Doo? I just, he's famous for me for being in the 90s. Summer Catch. We have Ryan Phillippe as Barry Cox. Uh, he was also with Sarah Michelle Gellar in uh, Cruel Intentions, playing mm-hmm. Sebastian. Mm-hmm. And uh, he went on to marry uh, Reese Witherspoon, who was also in Cruel Intentions. Yeah, they are now no longer together, right? Yeah, that's correct. Playing Melissa Egan, we have Anne Heche. She was with Ellen. Yeah, she was with Ellen. We also know her from... <laughs> seven Days and Seven Nights? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But in terms of horror movies, remember, she played Marion Crane in the remake of Psycho. And she was in Volcano. Yes. That's a good one. I the, love Volcano. I do, too. Happy Volcano, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> um, playing Max, we have Johnny Galecki. Yeah. The Big Bang. Yeah. Big Bang Theory and Roseanne is what I know him best from. I enjoy him and Roseanne. Yeah. Don't care for the Big Bang Theory. Yeah, me neither. Never watched an episode, never will. (laughs) He was suggested by Jennifer Love Hewitt. I told you that his character initially wasn't supposed to die in the movie, but they needed to have a death earlier in the movie. Mm -hmm. An interesting thing, in the scene where uh, Julie finds his body Mm -hmm. in the trunk with all the crabs, for whatever reason, I don't know exactly, but after they shot that scene, production got shut down for a couple of days. Don't know why. Did they forget the crabs in the trunk? No, I don't know why, but Jennifer Love Hewitt didn't know why either, and, and she thought maybe it had something to do with Johnny Galecki being killed and murdered, really, and she, that was his real body. <laughs> what? <laughs> that is not a real story. Well, I, well that's what I read. She appara- the, Apparently, the, the fake Johnny Galecki body with crabs coming out of the mouth was so real that she thought it possibly could have been his real dead body. Like, and, they murdered him for this role. <laughs> I guess. And the, and the film production was shut down because it was investigating the murder. So she was worried and she had to call him and make sure that he was still alive. 
<laughs> Brigitte Wilson plays Elsa Shivers. Do you remember what else she's in? Not off the top of my head, no. Well, she's in the remake of House on Haunted Hill, oh. Billy Madison, Mortal Kombat, and my favorite role of hers, Last Action Hero, as Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Then we have Moose Watson playing Ben Willis. What's his first name? Moose. Moose? M-U-S-E. I think it's Moose. Could be Muse. <laughs> <laughs> Muse Watson. Yeah, I mean he's a, say. he's a character actor that's been in a million things, but the one thing that I uh also spot him in is uh Austin Powers, the spy of Shagby. He plays a member of the Ku Klux Klan who fights with Doctor Evil wow. on the Jerry Springer show. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, that's great. What are you, some kind of freak? Hey, shut up. Okay, okay, come on. I'll kick you right. A little bit of some fun facts about the movie. In the scene where Julie is running around Ben's boat and she's going through the pile of ice, that was not real ice. I know. It looks like she's not shivering in any way, shape, or... I've held a plastic cup with so much ice (laughs) and water in it, and within two minutes, my arm is throbbing in pain. Yeah. She's not acting like any of that is real ice. Yeah, so they did that to make her more comfortable. Mm. Uh, it, it is little squares of gelatin. Yeah. So the final act of the movie, you know, where they have the big chase scene on the boat, it was actually shot on the ocean, on this boat. Ocean? Yeah, which is always a, a very dangerous and, and difficult thing to do. For when, sure. When filming. In fact, the boat nearly sank when they were trying to dock it after a shooting because of rough weather. There was an original ending. Mm-hmm. In the original ending, instead of the shower scene, how it played, it would have been Julie is chatting online with Ray and she gets that pool party invitation. And then another person types to her, I still know. And then the killer jumps at her. I don't know through if it's through sp- a computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I probably was like that computer scene in Scream 2. Remember mm. where the the killer messages Sydney Prescott mm. in the library? Mm-hmm. I'm guessing it would have been something like that. Okay. And then Leah Shriver would have showed up and said, "Fucked up Julie James, everyone's favorite little victim." Again, you sound so much like Beetlejuice. <laughs> Beetlejuice. So Miramax, who does Dimension Films, uh huh. You know they sued Columbia over this movie. Why? And they won because of false advertising in the trailer. Why? The trailer says from the creator of Scream, because Kevin Williamson wrote it, but Miramax felt that they are the creators of Scream. Oh. Because they made the movie. Uh-huh. Kevin Williamson wrote it, but uh-huh. he's not the creator. Oh, sure. it should have been like the writer of Scream. Right. So it was uh, brought to the courts and Miramax won. The courts. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I imagine like a bunch of powdered wigs and they're just like, yeah, yeah, this is a Miramax. Happy Fourth of July. (laughs) (laughs) This movie was parodied wonderfully in Scary Movie. Mm -hmm. Remember they uh, get into the car accident and one of them says, oh my God, we hit a boot. (laughs) <laughs> when she picks up the boot. No. And then... Um, I don't think I've watched Scary Movie. That's oh, awful movie. But... Uh, <laughs> and then... Um, what's the main girl again in the movie? Anna Ferris. Anna Ferris. She starts yelling, What are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What am I waiting for? 
What am I waiting for? What are you waiting for? It's a very dramatic scene. And then finally, I just need to mention that there were two sequels to this movie. The next year, in 1998, there was I Still Know What You Did Last Summer with Jennifer Love Hewitt. They went to the Bahamas. The Bahamas! (laughs) (laughs) That's how they say it. Do they roll their eyes into their head like you just did? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, that movie has so many problems. The main one being, if you know your geography, you know something's up. Because well, at least they bring it up. Well, yeah, at the end, it's a big, it's a big reveal that <laughs> that Rio de Janeiro is not the capital of Brazil. Uh-huh. It's Brasilia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to do that one next Fourth of July. And then after that, in 2006, there was I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer, which was direct-to-video. Oh. It wasn't very good. It didn't have anyone from the cast returning, I believe. And I think, if I remember correctly, I've seen it once, I think The Fisherman's a ghost in this one. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the urban legend became an entity. Mm, something like that. No. And apparently there is a remake in the works. Why? I don't know. So that's it. That's the story of I Don't You Did Last Summer. What do you think, Anthea? I enjoy this movie. I, <laughs> um, it's, it is what it is. It's fine. It's very of its time. And I like it. I Don't You Did Last Summer. Well, Anthea? Yes. Tell the people where they could find us this summer. Oh, you can find us at podsandmonsters.com where we have updated our watch list up until the end of 2020. Is, is that the year we're in right now? Um, you can find us also on Facebook and Twitter at Pods and Monsters. And you can find us on Instagram at Pods and Monsters Podcast. If you have any suggestions, please feel free to email them to us at podsandmonsters at gmail.com or slide into the DMs. Also, if you have a moment, please, please, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps us get seen. Or if you're not into that, please feel free to share us with some of your friends. Um, This month, we did our first guest spot on another podcast called the Nerd Knighted Nations podcast hosted by two very, very lovely people, Melissa and Jared. And we talked about Beetlejuice with them and had a really lovely conversation. So please head over to their socials and check it out. Chewing a dog. Yeah, chewing a dog. Um, <laughs> they are hosted on Podbean. Um, so they are the Nerd Knighted Nations podcast. Well, on that note, I want to wish you a happy 4th of July. Yeah, same Z's. I hope you're having a safe and socially distant 4th of July. I hope you eat some hot dogs. For Pods and Monsters, my name is Robert. My name is Inthia. And let me give you some advice. When you leave a podcast for dead, you make sure it's really dead. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Happy 4th of July. <laughs> Yo, chum bait. Take a hike. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>